0: You're listening to a podcast from the BMJ.
1: Hello, I'm Harriet Vickers, and welcome to the final BMJ podcast of 2010. This week, we hear about how the abolition of health fees is impacting on the high rates of infant and maternal mortality in Sierra Leone. Save the Children have been instrumental in this, and I spoke to the charity's Dr. Adama Chaori. Also, our web editor, David Payne, reflects on the year past and looks into the one to come. He quizzed health professionals on how they felt going into the new year. But firstly, he asked Jeremy Lawrence, health editor of The Independent, about what caught his eye in headlines in 2010.
2: With me, I have in the studio Jeremy Lawrence. Hello, Jeremy. Hello. Jeremy's written a feature for us where he looks at some of the stories that have caught his eye over the year. Where did it all go wrong? You started off in a very optimistic mood. I get the sense that
3: during the course of the year, things changed slightly. Tell us about that. I think they certainly did. The NHS started the year in the peak of condition, you know, funding at record levels, patient satisfaction at record levels, manpower at record levels. By the end of the year, it was all looking rather different. Yes. uh, With funding frozen, uh, savings of 20 billion and, of course, this enormous reform which no one was expecting. Andrew Lansley has lately been trying to portray it as evolution rather than revolution. Yes. But there's absolutely no doubt that the scale of these reforms is enormous and it is going to cause enormous disruption.
2: Yes, I think there's a sense that these have been rather foisted upon the uh, the health service. I don't know if, you, if you sort of
3: share that view. I think that's exactly right. I think you have to divide the objective of the reform, to devolve power to the periphery. So strip out two layers of bureaucracy and devolve 80% of the budget to GP consortia. And I think there's a measure of support for that. Where there is much more concern is over how you get to that point. Mm. 2,000 primary care managers have already applied for redundancy, and these are the people who are going to have to deliver the 20 billion of efficiency savings. I read last week, I think in the Times, um, uh, there was a description of Andrew
2: Lanzi as a sort of very organised man. And uh, this is where this is coming from. I don't know if you share that view. Yes,
3: he served longer in opposition than any previous health secretary. I think what he would say is that actually the only way we're going to achieve the productivity savings that are required Hmm. is through reform. And certainly the the evidence shows that over the last 10 years, as the money has gone into the NHS, productivity has actually fallen. So, I mean, on the GP's side, I think the disquiet focuses around no, are we really interested in the bureaucracy that is going to be involved in doing this? Most GPs, I think, want to get on and treat their patients. Yes. And on the hospital side, I think they're feeling rather neglected. The risk for them is that there will be a very strong bias in favour of primary care. Health secretaries for decades have been arguing there should be a shift yes. from hospitals into the community. But uh, clearly, hospital doctors may be feeling that they've been left out of the count on this one. Yes. Um, you've talked about nudge. Tell us about nudge. Yeah. <laughs> nudge, <laughs> yes. All governments are, are, are terrified of being cast as nannies. And Lansley's argument is that there should be a still a small place for regulation, but that we ought to be encouraged to lead healthier lives. I mean, the classic example is organ donors we've been struggling for years to increase the number of organ donors and a simple way of doing that it is argued would be to include a box on the application for driver's license yes where you simply tick and that's the kind of thing personally i think nudge is a, is a thoroughly good idea but i also think there's a very strong place for regulation and the classic example there is the ban on smoking in public which yes. has been widely accepted already showing major health benefits uh, a piece of completely successful legislation
2: how about the quango's another phrase that sort of we've talked about a lot this year is the bonfire of the quango's nice is one example
3: there are changes there mm. tell us about those and what impact you think they'll have yes. in any system with a limited budget, there has to be some method of allocating resources. And NICE is the best mechanism that has so far been devised for doing that. And now the government is moving to curb its powers and reduce its role. It will still continue to issue its cost-effectiveness assessments, Mm. but they will stand as advice to GP consortia who will themselves make the decision. And it will also provide the basis on which value-based pricing will be assessed. Yes. Um, but, I mean, you know, there are great risks there. And I don't think GPs will necessarily welcome this. Yes, um, yes. I so, read yesterday that it's, um, you know, it depends on sort of how loud the local paper shouts, basically. Well, well I yes. think I think that's precisely right. And, yeah. and we know that the local press has been instrumental in putting pressure on local health authorities and so on.
2: Yes, yes. Another thing the government's done is obviously um, it's reviewed sort of how it interprets science and how it takes account of science.
3: I mean, do you get the sense that science has been sort of moved to the back seat a little bit or...? Government interference in science is something that is worrying. I mean, I think the episode with the Advisory Council on the misuse of drugs is certainly worrying. Yes. Uh, First, the sacking of David Nutt, which happened last year. And then uh, just before the election, the intervention over methadrone, where the Advisory Council was pressured into holding a a meeting. And after the Advisory Council had come out with its advice that methadrone should be banned, Alan Johnson announced a ban. Yes, And and it did look very much on that occasion as if the council was caving into political pressure. Just a couple of months ago, the government announced that it would remove the requirement for scientific advisers on the advisory council. It looked very much as though the place of scientists Mm -hmm. as advisers to government was being pushed to the back burner.
2: Just finally, Jeremy, we often ask you if there's a quirky story that's caught your headlines, you know, a sort of silly season story or a fun story or a very nice human interest one that that you particularly enjoyed working on.
3: Um, well, I think, I think the story about the toothbrush
2: is rather right. nice, I must yes. say. This is the um, one that says people who neglect their toothbrush have a
3: 70% higher risk of heart disease than those who brush twice a day. Yes, yes, it's, yes. It's, it's not new, uh, that, that information, no. but it's very strong evidence. And it's a simple thing to understand, of course, for readers, and rather surprising, too. Um, I mean, the other thing I would mention, of course, is the victory for Simon Singh in Absolutely, his, in his yes. libel victory against the British Association of Cairo, Practice. There is great concern about the impact of libel in scientific debate. Yes. And uh, we know about. Peter Wilmshurst, whose case is still pending. Um, And there was another case of a a scientist who criticised a cream claim to increase the size of your breasts. Then there must be free scientific debate. And there really is no place for the libel laws in inhibiting that. Yes, yes.
2: Great. Well, Jeremy Lawrence, thank you very much for joining us again. And see you you next year. (laughs) Thank you very much. So that was Jeremy's take on 2010. But I also caught up with some people who have written for the BMJ in the past 12 months to ask them how they felt the year had gone and to look ahead to 2011. Simon Wesley, Director of the King's Centre for Military Health Research Institute of Psychiatry at King's College London, explained why he's feeling positive about changing attitudes to the armed forces.
0: I've become much more positive about the way in which the people understand and respond to the armed forces. Instead of seeing them as a kind of alien culture that's nothing to do with us, they're seeing them as part of us, but also different. And understanding in a mature way the kind of risks that they take, the reasons they do it, and also the kind of pride and courage that they show. So we moved away from the kind of, oh God, you joined, you joined the army because you know, you're too stupid and you couldn't get a job, and now you come back, you're a victim, and you're going to be on the streets, so or you're going to be in prison. Both of which, by the way, are completely wrong and I'm being very encouraged by the way in which there is now a much more mature understanding of the problems that they do develop. I think people have started to be able to separate out the kind of political side of opposition to the war and you know the kind of the Vietnam veteran is a baby killer type rubbish and to say actually there's two separate things here, there's the politics of war but also the nature of the armed forces and the nature of the people we send there and a more mature understanding of the very positive benefits that come to often young men from very troubled backgrounds from doing military service and a greater understanding of how they shall then uh, come back into society and what they have to give as opposed to simply seeing them as victims, we started the year with all these headlines about how many veterans are in prison is a terrible scandal, and yet we end the year with a realization actually what 's remarkable is not how many but possibly how few are when we think about some of the backgrounds that they come from and if we abolish the armed forces tomorrow, the prisons wouldn't empty, they'd probably fill. And that's um, a positive step forward.
2: Iona Heath, president of the Royal College of General Practitioners, and Kinesh Patel, a gastroenterology registrar, gave me their perspectives on the UK government's healthcare changes.
4: I think that some of the things are very good. I think reducing bureaucracy in the health service is very good, and I think putting more power into the hands of clinicians and patients is also very good. I think there's a rather large gap between the rhetoric and the reality and I think there's an awful lot that's not being talked about that's very important and there's much made of Andrew Lansley's slogan no decision about me without me and I would like to see a little bit of that towards health professionals themselves because the very sweeping changes have been made without the support of the majority of the profession and I think also no decision about me without me should actually be no decision about us without us in terms of the wider population as well they say they've been listening I'm not sure and next year will tell.
5: I'm mixed about them I think everyone working in secondary care sees huge inefficiencies that we would all like to address and crazy, crazy decisions that are made keeping people in hospital because tests can't be organised as an outpatient which we'd like to see changed and on the other hand movement to GPs taking over commissioning that does make people a little bit scared, partly because those GPs likely to be involved in commissioning are likely to be those ones who aren't necessarily seeing patients. And so while in theory it sounds like a good thing, we'll have to wait for the implementation to see what results this actually achieves.
2: Maternal mortality is still a huge international problem. But Jim Drive, Emeritus Professor of Obstetrics and Gynaecology at the University of Leeds, is feeling hopeful about tackling it.
5: There are different traditions in different parts of the world. A lot of places that the health of mothers has just been ignored, and the United Nations Millennium Development Goals have pushed it politically to the front, and even in this country I mean, successive politicians have really decided that that is an issue and uh, it's one of the few areas where funding has been increased rather than being decreased in terms of overseas aid so there's that but also the fact that people are taking it seriously and actually looking at at honestly reporting what's going on because there's been an awful lot of political bullshit about just talking down mortality rates and pretending things are fine Um, and now there's a more realistic uh, look at what really is happening so there's a, a bit of optimism on a kind of global level. Finally,
2: a wider use of blood pressure-lowering drugs is top of Malcolm Law's wish list. He's professor of epidemiology at the Wolfstone Institute of Preventive Medicine, Barts and the London School of Medicine and Dentistry.
5: I would like to see blood pressure-lowering drugs used a lot more widely. Whether that will happen in the space of one year or whether it will happen more gradually over the next decade or so, but either way, I think there are too many barriers to their uses. I think for the great majority of older people, the benefits of taking them greatly outweigh the hazards. We advocate using three drugs in low dose combination and we've shown that the low dose does a great deal to minimise side effects from the drugs. Certainly the side effects should be closely monitored but I think there's too much fuss measuring people's blood pressure lots of times I think virtually the entire older population in this country might be called hypertensive, if you use that word, and that the great majority of of us, if not all of us, would benefit by taking blood pressure-lowering drugs in low-dose combination, reducing strokes and heart attacks.
1: For this year's BMJ Christmas Appeal, we've joined forces with Save the Children. Some of the money we raise will support the charity's work in Sierra Leone And I'm very pleased to have Dr. Adama Chaori on the line, a health programme advisor for Save the Children, to tell us about the situation in the country and also where funds go. Thanks very much for for talking to us, Adama.
6: Thank you very much. uh...
1: So Sierra Leone has very high rates of infant and maternal mortality. I believe a study in 2008 showed that 89 babies died for every 1,000 births. And for mothers, that was 857 deaths for every 100,000 deliveries. The government's recently put in place a programme. Can you tell us more about this and, and how it has changed healthcare in Sierra Leone? In 2009,
6: a health national health sector strategic plan has been put in place. And the aim of this plan is to reach the goal of reduction of maternal and child mortality. And it has been noticed that uh, one of the barriers to, to, to health care is user fee. A national public health survey has been done, and this shows that 88% cannot get access to health care because of lack of finance. But before that, we ourselves, as civil children, we conducted a mini-survey, and we found out the women are not accessing to health care because they haven't money. We know that Sierra Leone has been uh, through 11 years of war. People are very poor. They are living uh, with less than $1 per day. So we started some advocacy work towards abolishing user fees and putting in place a pro-poor health financing option. Even before the National Survey, the children was working, the children was lobbying the Ministry of, of, of Health Care about the removal of user fees. In 2008, the government himself, they noticed that uh, user fees is a barrier because because of, of money.
1: Who is the programme affected? Which groups has it been able to change their, their access to healthcare for?
6: Children under five, pregnant and lactative women. So these two groups are now getting free healthcare.
1: And it's only been eight months since the, the free healthcare programme was put in place, but... Have you noticed any positive impact since then?
6: Definitely. You know, it's well documented that if there is free health care, the utilization rate will increase. And in Sierra Leone, this is what we are noticing. And now, if it is free, this means that people will get access to care, they will go to hospital, they will be able to deliver safely. Ladies are now attending hospital to deliver. The antenatal care, there is an increase of uh, about 100%. Oh, fantastic. So uh, lots of ladies are coming right now in the hospital. Children under five also, it's a big increase. They are entitled to free consultation. They will also get drugs for free. Also, we notice increase even in, in humanization. In the past, the humanization was free, but mm. now the mothers are more motivated and to bring their children because themselves they are going to hospital for free. So mm. the government is trying to put in place a, a document about the success of the free health care. So they are trying now to develop a tool. This tool will be available and will be able to have all the statistics. So I can tell you that the utilization rate is really increasing. With that, there is a lot of challenges going on right, right now because the staff, we are having a lot of consultations and sometimes there is a, a bit of problem with lack of drugs but the government is doing its best and trying to sort out all these problems.
1: Great, so do you expect other countries to follow the Sierra Leone's government and abolish the user fees?
6: Yes, definitely. I, I think that free healthcare is very, very important and if the government can manage it's well documented that it will be helpful especially in developing countries. And one of the challenges in the free healthcare is the sustainability. But uh, I think that the government uh, should do all their best and uh, to be able and uh, to support this system. Mm. So I, as a doctor in Sierra Leone, i am very with the system of free healthcare and the results.
1: And key to healthcare and the, the free healthcare programme in Sierra Leone are these health centres, of which said the children are supporting six in your capital, Freetown. What role do they play?
6: The role is like to give primary health care. This is the primary contact of people with facilities. If uh, they've got disease beyond the means of the health center, they will be referred. In Sierra Leone, there is a lot of diseases. In children, a lot of cases of pneumonia. There is a lot of cases of malaria, of diarrheal diseases. And we also have a lot of cases of malnutrition. And basically, uh, the staff are from the Minister of Health So say the children uh, haven't got any staff, so we are here to support the Ministry of Health, to strengthen the system. We support them with training. We support them with uh, medical equipment. And we support them with uh, uh, supplies and and drugs and to be sure uh, that uh, they're delivering quality of care. And we support also the district health management team to be able to supervise and to to, to monitor also the activity of the health units
1: Great. So these are all areas that if listeners have donated or or are hopefully about to donate, that their money will be spent on.
6: And you know, this free healthcare initiative is not an easy task because uh, we need a lot of support, uh, like uh, being able to provide medication, being able to monitor the system, talking about the sustainability. So it's going to be helpful if people can help and to 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 make the a successful
1: well i hope very much that your success continues and that our christmas appeal is able to raise more funds to help you carry on doing that uh, so thanks very much for speaking to us adama
6: thank you very much
1: journalist kimberly johnson has visited the crew bay health center in freetown sierra leone and you can read her article on the work there on bmj.com if you'd like to donate UK listeners can give £5 by texting GIVE to 70555 and you can also contribute via bmj.com forward slash Save the Children. That's everything for this week, and this year in fact. We'll be back in January, so join us then. Thanks for listening.
0: For more information about this programme and other BMJ Group
2: podcasts, please visit bmj.com.